You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Nate. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided, verse 2, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, one must recall at this point the way in which Paul came to the city of Corinth to preach the gospel originally. Before he had come to Corinth, he had been in the region of Berea, before that Thessalonica, and before that Philippi, but immediately before Corinth, he had been in the city of Athens. Now You might remember that Paul had been called by the Spirit through a vision Well, he was across the Aegean Sea in the city of Troas to go across the water into Philippi. This marked the first gospel preaching for Paul on European soil. And when Paul went there and preached the gospel in Philippi, a church was started. He then left and went to Thessalonica, where a church was started. He then had to flee Thessalonica due to persecution and went to Berea where a church was started. People believed in Jesus in all three of those city centers. Now in fleeing from Berea, Paul went alone to Athens, sending word to his companions in ministry to meet him in the city of Corinth. Now, in Athens, which even at the time of Paul was still an intellectual center, uh, still a philosophical center uh, of Greek thought in that Roman world, Paul gained an opportunity to preach the gospel or to address the Areopagus or Mars Hill. And there is a collection of thinkers gathered together. Paul delivered the Acts 17 message that was filled with poetry, filled with insights from natural revelation or general revelation, revelation that we receive just by observing the cosmos, and talked a bit about the Lord, talked about Jesus. Uh, The cross was not front and center in that message. It was not a cut and dry, Jesus died on the cross for the sin of the world kind of message. So some have thought when Paul came to Corinth that with the sting of his ministry in Athens, which was not all that effective numerically, that that had stung Paul and that when he went to Corinth, he determined to do things differently than he'd done them in Athens. And that when he went to Corinth, he determined, I am only going to to proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified, as he says in verse 2. That, that I determined not to come, verse 1, proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. 
Now, it does seem possible that there was a little bit of that happening to me with Paul in his mind. But it seems likely that Paul was only describing how he went to any city, humbly and with the cross. So Paul is announcing here, when I went to Corinth, I went as I would often go, without eloquence of speech, for that is not needed to share the truth. Now this, of course, reminds us of people like Moses, who the Lord did not consider disqualified for ministry because of his slow speech, Exodus 4 verse 10, or people like Jeremiah, who thought his youthfulness would keep him from the ministry, Jeremiah 1 verse 6. No, the Lord is able to use each one of us even with our limitations, and sometimes he can use us better because of our limitations, because the self does not get in the way. Now, just to continue the story of Paul going to Corinth, uh, he was there alone. He met Priscilla and Aquila, a married couple who were Jews who had fled from Rome due to a persecution, likely not a Christian persecution, but a persecution of Jewish people, uh, they had become believers, and so they connected together. Paul with Priscilla and Aquila, their trade was that of making tents, and Paul uh, had received that trade, had learned that trade when he was younger, and so he joined them, and that's how he provided for himself there in Corinth. But once his ministry companions showed up, Paul began preaching the gospel with fervency, and many believed people started to come to Christ, although it was mixed with, again, as in many of the cities Paul ministered to, Jewish opposition. And so Paul was slightly afraid. We know this because in Acts 18, it says that the Lord Jesus spoke to him and said, Paul, do not be afraid, for I have many people in this city. The Lord giving him confirmation that there were many people that he would call that would be saved there in the city of Corinth. What Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 and 2, is that when he went, he had a determination to simply declare Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now he says in verse 3, he says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of of men, but in the power of God. Now here, Paul confessed to weakness, fear, and much trembling well on that initial trip to Corinth, which I just alluded to. And after all the hostility in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, Paul traveled down to Athens alone and then headed to Corinth all by himself. And again, here he just reestablishes that. I was there in weakness and fear and in much trembling. But he reiterates, you know, when I spoke, I did not speak with plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, which would we rather have in our modern era, plausible words of wisdom or the demonstration of the Spirit and power. Then he said in verse 6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. In other words, Paul did not think 
that he preached a foolish message. You know, when, when he's announcing there that uh, he was not speaking plausible words of wisdom, he did not think that he was preaching folly or foolishness. No, what he announced here in verse 6 is, no, I was speaking wisdom. I was imparting wisdom, just not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. Instead, what he preached was the secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So what he's announcing there or highlighting there is that this glory of God, this message of God from before the foundation of the world had been declared and was hidden and he was making it known. Now he says none of the rulers of this age understood this for if they had, verse 8, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now when Paul says rulers, uh, he means the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and Herod Antipas, as well as the Romans represented by Pilate and his soldiers. What, what he's announcing here is, look, they did not know that Jesus was the God, the Lord of glory. They did not know that this was the secret and hidden wisdom of God, that God the Son had come to dwell in human flesh. They did not know that God had decreed this, verse 7, from before the ages for our glory. They did not know that. If they had, he announces, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, and this might just be a loose quotation of some passages in Isaiah, but it might actually mean just generally the scripture teaches. And then he says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Uh, what he's announcing here is that there is a deep and mysterious treasure trove of all that God has prepared for those who love him. That eyes cannot see it. That ears cannot hear hear it. And the heart of man cannot imagine it. In other words, in our natural state, it is utterly impossible for us to conceive of all of the majesty and the glory and the transcendence that God has in store that he has prepared for his people, for those who love him. Paul announced in Colossians 1, verse 25 and 27 of the gospel, he said, I became a minister of it according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The, the major element, Paul is saying there in Colossians 1 verse 27, the major element of what God had prepared for those who love him is that Christ would dwell, reside within us, the hope of glory. Absolutely beautiful. And for those who have believed in Christ, we have been justified by Jesus. We are currently being sanctified by Jesus and we will one day be glorified in Jesus. So verse 9 stands for all believers as a strong and massive motivation 
to study the scriptures, particularly the New Testament epistles, because it is there so often that the eye can see, the ear can hear, and the heart of man can begin to imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. These things, verse 10, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Here what Paul announces is that the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, because the spirit is God. For only God could know everything that God knows. So think about your inner person. You know, there are things about you that only you know, that if you're seated in a room with a hundred people, no one else knows what you are thinking in that moment but you. Oh, there might be clues that other people could gather from the events. Maybe he's thinking this. Maybe she's thinking that, they might say. But only you know truly what you are thinking about. That's you. You, your spirit, knows you, knows your mind. In the same way, in a similar way, the Holy Spirit knows the Father God because he is God. He comprehends the thoughts of God. So no one, Paul says, comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, verse 12, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Here, Paul points out that God has revealed these things to us through the Spirit so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So in other words, Paul says the Holy Spirit is our teacher regarding the thoughts of God. Again, one of the goals of the Christian life, according to Paul, is that we would understand the things freely given us by God. Uh, verse 13, or excuse me, verse 12, that we would understand the things freely given us by God. Now, he announces here in verse 13 that we are interpreting spiritual truths. The Spirit is interpreting spiritual truths through Paul and his ministry to those who are spiritual. That's what Paul considered his role to be, that he was taking spiritual truths and interpreting them for spiritual people by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be taught by the Spirit in order to understand the truth because the Spirit knows the mind of God. This helps us understand why someone who is not a believer can come to certain conclusions about Scripture can understand certain words and phrases and doctrines within Scripture, but that if they are not regenerate and the Spirit of God is not dwelling within them, they will have a difficult time applying and really grasping the truth that is communicated and taught because they are spiritual truths designed for spiritual people. That's why Paul goes on to say, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, 
we go back now to the wise of this world that he'd referred to in chapter one. And he says, look, this person, this natural person does not accept the things of the spirit for they do not have the spirit. So when they hear the gospel, it is folly to them. When they hear the truth, it is folly to them. This, I think, is important for us in our modern era to understand because it often appears that we are offended when someone does not see the world as we see the world and that it makes no sense to us when the thinking of the natural person is upside down. But again, remember the Romans 1 paradigm. In Romans 1, in particular cultures, that have denied the existence of a creator God and have begun to worship and serve the creature more than the creator, there are three stages, according to Romans 1, that God will give a society up to. Stage number one is rampant sexual promiscuity and immorality. Phase two is unnatural sexual promiscuity. And phase three is where every form of morality is turned on its head and good things are called evil and evil things are called good and they actually encourage and approve of those who do those things. So you have to remember, this is a spiritual process that the world has been given up to, and oftentimes the society and culture is extremely given up to. So when the things of the Spirit of God are communicated to a natural person like that, what we learn here in verse 14 is they are folly to him. They are not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I think one of the major applications of truths like these are that we must be a people of prayer. It will only be through prayer, through crying out to God, asking for his power, for his release, for his breakthrough, for his binding of the enemy, for his spiritual victory, for his strength, for elucidation from the Spirit to come through into the minds and hearts of human beings. It will only be through the power of God that a human being comes to Christ, that a human being is opened to the gospel. We should not believe that it is impossible. Look, Paul knew when he went to various towns and villages and synagogues and preached the gospel message, he knew that he was speaking to natural people who by themselves could not understand the truth of the gospel because they are spiritually discerned truths. The man who wrote this chapter preached the gospel boldly and loudly. Uh, but what he believed, apparently, is that God would have to give that person insight, wisdom, understanding to be able to say yes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul then says in verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one for verse 16 who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. What he's saying there about not being judged 
that the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one is that no natural or carnal person can appreciate, discern, or understand the spirit-led believer. Uh, it doesn't mean that someone who's a Christian is somehow above correction, is somehow above you know, any form of inspection of their lives or is above rebuke. Now, what it means is that a person who has heard the word of the Lord and responded to it is walking in step with the Spirit. They cannot be understood, appreciated, discerned, known by the natural or carnal person, as we'll see in chapter 3. No, the reality is that you are a different kind of person. Peter said in 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4, that God's divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. In other words, he says, you're drinking in, you're partaking of the divine nature. You are a different kind of being. That's why Paul quotes from the Septuagint version of the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 13, when he asks the question, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And the reason he quoted that is to say, but we have the mind of Christ. Have you ever stopped to consider that if you're a believer, walking with the Lord, reading his word, attempting to obey him, to be sanctified, to grow, have you ever stopped to consider that you have the mind of Christ? That the way that Christ thinks, the way that Christ views the world, the way that Christ sees things, more and more that is becoming your mind in him. You have the mind of Jesus Christ. Now, this is the goal in the Christian life. We want to have more and more of the mind of Christ and less and less of a mind of this world. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I think one of the major takeaways from the truth here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and there are a few, but one of the major takeaways would be that we would see a high value of the Spirit-led study of God's Word. You see, if the Holy Spirit knows the truth and the mind and heart of God and is communicating, revealing that to his people, then we should want to get into the Word of God because that is the safest, healthiest, and strongest version of God's revelation to man. Uh, what he's not announcing is that, well, hey, there's the mind of God, and so just seek all the spiritual gifts. That's how you'll hear the mind of God speaking through the Spirit. There is a place for that. But what Paul seems to be highlighting is that there is this deep treasure chest of the glory and the blessings of the gospel. And the Spirit, his role is to open our minds and open our hearts to those truths more and more until the perfect day where we meet our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, let's double back for a second 
as we close and consider the reason that Paul is talking about all of this to the Corinthian church. You see, what was happening there is that they had become divided. Remember the divisions? Some said, I'm of Paul. Some said, I'm of Apollos. Some said, I'm of Cephas or Peter. And some said, I'm of Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons that the dispute existed is because they were thinking about the various forms of teaching. Some liked Apollos' style. Some people liked Peter's style. Some people uh, wanted to focus on perhaps the words of Jesus. And some people had begun to despise the methodology, the style of even Paul the Apostle, because apparently he had not come with words of eloquence, with power, or plausible words of wisdom, but had come in the demonstration of the Spirit and power, that he had just come simply, but the Spirit had been working, and the Spirit had been moving. So when Paul is announcing all of this, the reason that he seems to be talking about it is simply to get the Corinthians' eyes off of the messenger and onto the message, to get their eyes off of the methodology and onto the Lord, to get their eyes off of the way in which they're learning about the treasures and to get their eyes upon the treasures that are in Christ themselves. That is what spiritual people, verse 15, would do. They have the mind of Christ, verse 16. And so they are able to understand what the Lord has given because they are spiritually discerned people. So this helps us understand a way in which we combat division today. We get our eyes upon the message. We get our eyes upon the cross of Christ. We get our eyes upon the Lord, and we allow the Spirit to open up all of that world to our lives more and more. God bless you, and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.